0: Well, this feels like Easter part two. Wow. Hey, it's been a great morning, and and I want to say thank you last week uh, for bringing friends, for serving, for all you did. It was uh, an amazing weekend for us as a church. We had a record Easter attendance, and there was just a lot of joy in this place. The worship team knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was just a tremendous day, and it made all of us uh, just just feel so blessed to know we know the King. Uh, Jesus is our Lord, and we get to do this really every single week. So, um, we're glad that you're here. You got a bulletin when you came in. It highlights a bunch of stuff going on in the church. do want you to know that after this service is our newcomer welcome class. If you're new to the church or been here for a while, but never actually uh, uh, you know, it's taken a step deeper, we invite you to come to the newcomer welcome, which is in the Next Gen building all the way to the um, far left. Just go down the hallway, uh, probably smell food, and uh, our uh, leaders will just share with you some things about the church. I'll even uh, stop by for a few minutes to say hi as well. Well, I want to give you an, an update. A few weeks ago, we mentioned to you that we were getting bids for our um, building project. We embarked on this initiative last fall called Measurable Impact, and we really believe as we pray that God was leading us to the next uh, phase of developing this campus, and that phase was to renovate that building over there that has served us so well for um, almost 18 years, but it's really showing its signs of wear and tear, and also just because of the ways our ministries have kind of reformatted, we need to do some adjusting in how that's laid out. And so, we knew back in the fall we estimated the cost would be about seven hundred and fifty thousand. When the bids came in a few weeks ago, um, it was closer to a million dollars. And uh, uh, we're not going to be able to build this summer, not because of the bids, but because of a few other reasons. We had hoped that with this project we could take the funds that came in, which are, if you look in the bulletin, pretty significant three hundred and thirty-nine thousand dollars. Uh, We thought we could take that and do a part of the work. You know, build with what we had. That was our intent, that this project would be phased. We could probably do one major piece of it. What we discovered when we talked to the subcontractors was that's not a really wise thing to do. For one, um, to tear things apart and leave them unfinished uh, leaves rooms unusable for the next year until we get back to it. So um, there's not a good break point in that construction to do something major and just stop. Also, to get the same crew to come back next year... Um, is a risk Plus it, they said it's going to cost you more If you do that into, into two phases Than it would in one And so our elders have made a determination A while back that we are not going to incur further debt So we're not taking a loan on it We will wait until God through his people um, Brings those funds in So what does that mean? It means we're still moving forward It means we still believe this is the direction The elders have affirmed it The staff has affirmed that This is what is needed Just our timing isn't God's timing Surprise Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Where you want to do something God says, not yet. And so we we realize there's some things that need to be put in place as well. Um, But we're, we're partnering with God in this. And it's pretty significant to have a third of that already in the bank. And so what we're going to do is put that money in an interest-bearing CD this summer so it'll gain you know eight to $10,000 of interest over the next year. And we're keeping that fund open. Some people had asked us, hey, I didn't, I wasn't able to give a commitment from October until March with the rest of the church, but if you would have extended it longer, I could do something. Well, we're extending it a whole other year or longer. So you can jump in. If God has blessed you, I'd really ask you to pray about that. God, what would you have us do? Because um, once those funds come in, we will build. In fact, we actually will take some chunks of that to do some smaller projects. Uh, like a stage up in the the children's room and some things that are just uh, projects we can do. Um, But for the most part, we're putting all that on pause until we're ready to really start it and finish it within about a four-month period of time. And we'll do a better job of updating you now that we have figures to work with. We have information we can communicate that much better to you. Um, We didn't do a whole lot of communication because we didn't have that information over the past several months. Also, we had our Thanksgiving baskets, Operation Christmas Child, Christmas Eve offering. We really didn't want to talk much about this, but we're going to... Go back to revisit and, and share with you why that's so important. All of our discipleship ministries are impacted by that building over there. Not just our children and youth who use that. That's, that's, they almost dominate that building on Sunday mornings. But all through the week, a lot of our adult ministries use that building as well, and it's just showing the wear and tear, and we we know that God wants us to be good stewards of the the facilities that we have. So we're going to continue to pray, continue to give, and continue to do great ministry uh, in the area of discipleship for our young people and even for our adults. So are you with me in that? Let's keep moving forward. Today is the, uh, the, the last message of this series called The Kingdom. And, you know, I love this subject. It is the dominant theme of Scripture. And we know that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he said, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's right now. It's beginning. Because the king is present. Where the king is present, the kingdom exists. So the kingdom is inseparably tied to Jesus. And where he rules, he reigns. And he is king. And that's why when we pray, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom comes when we surrender to his will, as we've been kind of talking all morning. When we put ourselves under his authority, we become citizens of that kingdom. And there really is, as Sam said, a spiritual battle going on. And this world has been dominated by an evil power called Satan. He has been the prince of this earth. Jesus said that, the ruler of this age, the prince of this this world. And so he's come to drive him out. And he he did it in resounding ways in his ministry, but then he's passed the baton to us and says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and now I give it to you. Go out there. Move people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Because the kingdom of God is advancing in this earth until the day that, that, that God says, it's over, we're going to dominate the whole world now, this world belongs to my son, and it'll be the end. But we have the, the opportunity to be part of that kingdom, not only ourselves, but the people we love, and the people we know, and even strangers, to bring them in with us. Now, what does it mean to enter the kingdom? We talk a lot about accepting Jesus into our lives, but the biblical phraseology in the Gospels is entering the kingdom. It's used a lot. In fact, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean to have a righteousness that exceeds them? They were very good at knowing the Bible, the Old Testament in their days. They were very good at practicing religious disciplines, but something was lacking, and that was what was happening in the heart. And Jesus says, unless you do it better than they're doing it, you're not going to make it. And later on, Jesus said that the tax collectors and the prostitutes were getting into the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees. Isn't that amazing? People who lived awful lives are actually getting in line first. So we know that it's, it's not a matter of, of your religious practices. It's not a matter of the knowledge that you have. That there's something about people who've, who've uh, you know, been burned by life, who've lived... You know, maybe disrespectful lives who've sinned a lot there's something about them that actually can qualify them for the kingdom what is it? well another place and you've got this uh, in your bulletin we may not have time to look up all these scriptures but this one's printed out for you one time the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest and jesus took a little child and had this child stand before them and said this truly i say to you unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven you adult disciples you guys don't grow up and be like this kid. You will never be part of my kingdom. Now that's, a, that's a slap in the face, isn't it? Jesus, we've been following you all this time. I know, but your heart's in a bad place. What was it about kids? What was it about this child? It's not that the child was immature. You got to be real clear. It's not that the child was immature. Childlikeness is very different than childishness. We don't glorify childishness. But the child-likeness, what was it about that? Well, children are very trusting. They believe mom and dad are superheroes. You don't need the Avengers. you got mom and dad. They can, they can do anything. They can fix anything. They can answer any problem. They know it all, right? You're little kids. Or if you've got grandkids, they think of you as a superhero. You know, you, you're just the greatest, and they trust you. You want, uh, you want a child to jump to you from a ledge, like on the stairs or in the pool? That little three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, they'll jump. Without reservation. Sometimes when you're not ready, they'll just jump. (laughs) Because they trust you. And we grow to learn not to trust. And we get jaded as we get older. And we start to hold things back. And we start to take control. And Jesus is basically saying, really what we talked about at Easter, give up the control. It's not about you having control. It's about you surrendering it to me. And so we need to become like little children. Well, how do you do that? Well, one time Jesus told a man got to go back to the beginning. It's in John chapter 3 where Jesus is speaking to one of these religious leaders, a guy named Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in order to be part of the kingdom of God, you've got to have this experience called being born again. Be a kid again. Start over. And of course, we know that humility and trust are critical to, to doing that, to being surrendered to him. So the good news is all of us can choose to be humble and trusting. The kingdom of God is really open to all of us. And when we do that, God does this miracle that we cannot do for ourselves of causes us to be born again. It's a supernatural experience that God changes something within us that we could never change. Being a Christian is not just reforming your life. There is some turning and change involved, but it's not us transforming ourselves. It's us surrendering to the doctor who does his spiritual surgery on us and makes us new. Now, we find out in, in Scripture that, that, that this internal decision to, to trust Christ shows in external demonstrations or external expressions that something that's going on inside will, will be proven by the external things, by how we show it. For example, let's think of a wedding. In a wedding, this couple loves each other. Well, it, people assume they love each other they're getting married, right? You just assume they love each other. But when they go before um, a pastor or, or some other authority to get married, they, they typically do these things. These are always, almost always part of every wedding. They will share vows. They will say, I do. They will exchange rings. And they will give a wedding kiss. Then they'll be introduced to everyone else as Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. It's a change from this old single life to now the married life. And these physical expressions are tied up in this thing called love. Were they married the moment they loved each other? No, they're they're married the moment they actually, their love displayed in some tangible expressions. And we can refer back to the wedding like this. I I could say something like, the day you exchanged rings was a day that changed your life forever. Now, of you know, hey, that's my wedding day. I could say, the the day that you said I do, oh, that's my wedding day. I could say the day you loved each other and pledged yourself. That's the wedding day. They're all referring to the same thing, but I could even take a piece of it. And the day that you were introduced as Mr. and Mrs. Oh, that's my wedding day. I mean, they all speak of the same event in the New Testament. People, sometimes Peter will say the day you believed. Sometimes he'll say uh, the day you confessed Christ. Sometimes he says the day you were baptized. They're all referring to the same thing, that the day that you transitioned from the old life to the new. Now, I want to show you something just real quickly here. These internal decisions are to believe and repent. And the, and the external expressions of this are confessing Christ as Lord and being baptized. So sometimes you hear, the kingdom of God is a hand, repent and believe the good news. Uh, to, re, to believe means to place trust in. It's not just something you have in your head. It's not just saying I agree. It's actually to place trust in someone else. And repent means to turn, to turn from the way you are going to go a different direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Well, how do you know? How does it show itself? Well, we read again and again in the the Bible that that this showed itself. If you were a believer, if you truly repented, you did these things. You confessed Christ as Lord, you were baptized. Confess means to say, I acknowledge the truth that Jesus is Lord of all, and he's my Lord. And then to be baptized meant to be dipped or immersed in water. That's what the biblical word actually means. I grew up in a church that sprinkled babies. That didn't come until a couple hundred years into the history of the church, and more of an escape because of fear of children might die and go to hell, so we need to sprinkle them and protect them. But it never was that way in the beginning. It was always a believer, a person who believed and repented, was baptized, laid in water. We'll look at why that's so significant. Buried in water and lifted from that water to symbolize the fact that all of them, their whole body, was, was committed, surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so when you read through the Bible, sometimes you hear just one of those mentioned. You'll hear, it'll say like, remember the day you, you believed. Or it'll say like, uh, repent and believe. Or it'll say, repent and be baptized. Or it'll say, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe, in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can say, well... Sometimes it just picks one of those out, sometimes it picks two of them, but you never find all four of them mentioned together. But they all are very significant parts of this process of leaving the old life to the new life. And so it's very dangerous. And I see people do this sometimes. Well, see, it just says there, all you have to do is believe. That's what the Bible says. And then others say, see, all you have to do is be baptized. That's what the Bible says. All you have to do is just confess Jesus as Lord. That's all, all you have to do. That's what the Bible says. Well, it says all those, but you have to look at the whole picture. Just like in a wedding, I could say, you know, exchange rings. Well, they didn't say their vows. Oh, well, yes, they did. That was part of it. I just didn't tell you that part of it. They don't always tell you every piece of the process, but they're really looking at this whole picture of an internal and external surrender to the Lord. Now, I'm surprised oftentimes in churches. Now, you don't find this on the mission field. People who receive Jesus are eager to be baptized, but in our culture... People go. I don't know if I need to be baptized. I was told I didn't have to. Or I sprinkled sprinkled when I was a baby, so I don't know if I want to do that. It always just shocks me that people resist it. It's kind of like when you fell in love with your spouse. For those of you who are married, and did you say, "Really, I have to go to? A, we have to do a wedding to be married? Really? Come on! No, he says we get to have a wedding." We get to show everybody how much we love each other. We get to tell everyone that we are committed to each other. And baptism is an opportunity more than an obligation. It's, nothing, it's not something we have to do. You know, get it out of the way. Because be obedient to Christ. It's I get to be surrendered to Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I get to be surrendered to him. So when you go to other cultures, they are jumping. They're probably jumping in the water because they, when, they, when they believe in Jesus and want to give their lives, that's what they want to do. They want to be all in. And I know sometimes in our services that we give invitations, things go through your head. And I think the enemy takes those little lies and whispers and says, you don't know enough yet. This isn't the right day for you. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to be baptized. Or just some silly things like, um, you know, you don't like crowds. Or, man, that's going to really mess your hair and makeup up. And so we get all these things going through our heads and, you know, I don't want to go and debate all of your excuses that you might have for saying, you know, I'm not ready for this, I'm not ready for this, I'm not ready for this. I want to give you a good reason why you should do it. That's all you need. One good reason. I'm actually going to give you five. Here's here's five things that baptism says and what it means. By the way, people will say this line sometimes, baptism has nothing to do with my salvation. I would say baptism is not mechanical. It is not magical. Baptism can't save you. Only Jesus can. But I will tell you this. The meaning of baptism is is tied to your salvation. It it is tied to your conversion experience. You can't separate the two. Every reference to baptism is tied to salvation. So does it have nothing to do with salvation? It has everything to do with salvation. It's a picture of salvation. It's It's a surrender. For some people, it's the time of their surrender. So, yes, it has something to do, and you'll see that as we look at these scriptures. So, first of all, baptism is initiation. It's an entrance into a, a new way of living. Now, did you know that people were baptized before John the Baptist came on the scene? Baptism was practiced in the Jewish culture. If you were a Gentile, which means non-Jew, you wanted to become Jewish, they would take you through a, a process of educating you, and then the final step was you were baptized. It was kind of a washing of the old and rising to be a new person. You were, that was your initiation into the Jewish community. John the Baptist was preaching in that context, that culture, and so when he told people to believe and repent and then go into the Jordan River and be baptized, he was saying, this is a new beginning. This whole kingdom thing, it's a new beginning for you. It was initiation. We see this when the disciples were scattered out of Jerusalem and went to different places to preach. A guy named Philip went to a city called Samaria or a region called Samaria. And we read this in Acts chapter 8. Where he says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I want you to notice a key word in there, when. When they believed. Well, what? When they believed, what happened? Well, when they believed, they were baptized, both men and women. It wasn't like they scheduled their baptism for six months from then. It, It was then. It was like, why wait? Right now, let's get on with it. They did it right then and there, and this is consistent with the Great Commission where Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, think about that. If If I'm leading someone to Christ, one of the things I need to do is to teach them all the things about Jesus and how they need to follow him But this one thing, this one area of obedience called baptism is actually separated from all those others. Why why did God do that? Why did Jesus say this is different than all the others? Because it's initiation. It's the beginning. You don't do it again. You don't do it repeatedly. But a disciple is someone who's baptized and then keeps learning how to submit to Jesus. So that surrender that's displayed in the baptistry, it should be the attitude all through our lives. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. I surrender myself to you. And so it's a part of initiation. It's the beginning of the, the journey. So, baptism is initiation. It's also separation, it's a departure from the past. And this is something I've, I've noticed a lot the last couple of years as I've been going through the Bible and some deeper Bible studies. Water is very symbolic in the Hebrew culture. Water becomes a, a mark of, of, of division from, from one life to another. We see that, first of all, in the flood with Noah. When God shows a family, Noah's family, and says, I'm going to save you from this wicked culture, build me an ark. And it wasn't until the, the rains came and the floods broke that the boat began to rise and that water became the separation of who's for God and who's against God. And so those people had left the world behind us and that we're now trusting God in this ark. You know, wherever it goes, we go. We're, we're in it with God. And Paul, excuse me, Peter refers to this in 1 Peter chapter 3. That, it, that was a symbol of baptism. We go to the Exodus, when the, when the Hebrew people were in Egypt and cried out to God, and God says, I'm going to deliver you. And I've got a man who's going to be the point man for you. His name is Moses, and you need to listen to him. So Moses leads them out, and he, he gets them to this body of water called the Red Sea, and they're thinking, oh, great. Way to go, Moses. And Moses cries out to God. What does God do? <sighs> Parts the sea, they go through. And then the waters collapse on the Egyptian army as they come, and it became the point of of this side, Egypt, that side, wilderness, and trusting God. It became the the point of, of separation. And we read this in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He says this was a kind of baptism. Water on each side, water above them. Their trust is in the man of God named Moses. We're going forward. He says, that's what you've done when you accepted Christ. You went through an a, a experience in water and in trusting in Jesus Christ. And so he says, this is kind of a unifying experience all through history of people that follow the Lord. We find that when the Israelites wandered for 40 years and they're getting ready to go in the promised land, you might remember that right before they went into the promised land, they're getting ready to go and claim the land they've got across water. They cross the Jordan River, and God miraculously opens it again, and they go through and see that river becomes symbolic, the old life of wandering to the new life of receiving uh, the promised land. And so water becomes a, a mark of past and future. It's a, it's a point of separation. It's also a resurrection. It's also a resurrection. We read this in, in Colossians chapter 2. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So something is removed. That's the separation. But then he says, this other illustration, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. He calls it a resurrection. He calls a person who's baptized a resurrection. Now, sometimes we, we, we underestimate the power of a physical experience. But they are very powerful in our lives. We just experienced one a few moments ago. Do you know what it's called? Communion. We could have just said, hey, let's just sit for a few moments and, and remember Jesus died for you. But there's something about taking the bread and taking the juice and what they represent. That's very powerful, right? It's very powerful. A couple weeks ago on a Friday night, uh, our Celebrate Recovery ministry had an event called Nail It to the Cross. They do this every year. And, and, and many of you came to that event. And at the close of the message that, that Pastor Dustin gave, people were invited to come up and on a piece of paper they had written their sins, their struggles, their hurts, um, you know, their disappointments, all those things that they wanted to give over to the Lord. And then they came up to these crosses, these big wooden crosses, and with a hammer and nails they nailed them to the cross. And people said it was such a powerful experience to release that to God, to do this physical thing because, because we are physical beings. We are spiritual and physical together. God made us spirit and body and they intertwine and so... Don't underestimate the power of a physical thing. And I see it every time someone's baptized. They come up out of the water, and you see this look on their face. It's beautiful. It's not like like I said my prayers or I, I just wrote a check to the church offering. There's something that's very different when someone surrenders like that and come up. Sometimes there's tears in their eyes. Sometimes they raise their hands like this. Sometimes they shout. You know, because something very powerful has happened. That physical experience is very meaningful, and God created it to be that way. Baptism is also declaration. It's a declaration. It's a nonverbal way of saying, I believe. So Jesus says in Mark 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Then he goes on to say, whoever does not believe will not be saved. And the reason he doesn't repeat baptism because baptism means nothing without believing. It has no effect at all. You're baptized and your heart's not surrendered to Jesus. You're just getting wet. Okay, It doesn't mean anything. There's nothing magical, nothing mechanical about baptism. It is tied to your faith. It's a physical expression of your faith, just like uh, giving of the rings in a wedding is a physical expression of your love to your husband or your bride. It says something about your commitment, and so... One time, this uh, Philip was out preaching in Samaria and and was drawn by God to this desert area where an Ethiopian eunuch was riding a chariot, and he had this Old Testament scroll from Isaiah, and he was reading about Jesus, and he says, I don't get this. I don't understand this scripture here. And Philip came along beside him and pointed out that this is referring to Jesus, and he presented the gospel there. And I want you to hear um, the response, because the eunuch listened well. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, in your Bible, if you notice, if you've got a physical Bible, go down to the very bottom, and you'll notice there's a footnote. Verse 37 is actually in a footnote. It's not on your in your Bible, it's at the bottom. And that verse says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And then it gives the Ethiopian eunuch's response, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Now, why isn't that in your Bible? Well, it's not in the oldest manuscripts. It wasn't in the original writing when Luke wrote the book of Acts. Why, why, why then is it there? Why, why is it in the footnote? It's because the early church added it. Why did they add it? Because they knew this is part of the unspoken story. People need to know why the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. What qualified him to be baptized? The fact that he believed that Jesus was the son of God. Because baptism is a statement of saying, I believe. It's a sign of declaration. And then baptism is identification. I was told when I was in high school, if I wanted to join the Baptist church, I could be baptized. And I said, I don't want to join the Baptist church. I just want to be baptized because the Bible says to do it. Well, I'm sorry, we, we can't do that for you. Well, the more I studied, I realized being baptized isn't to identify me with a particular denomination. It is is simply a response to Jesus and my identification with him. Me being identified with Christ. We are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3 says that. Also in Romans 6. Let me read Romans 6. This will be the, the last passage. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We are identified with Jesus' death. We are buried, therefore, with him with Jesus, identification, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, just like Jesus, identification, we too may live a new life. We identify that. See, when you are baptized, you're actually saying, I identify with with the Savior who was buried and who rose from the dead, and I'm identifying personally as I'm being buried and lifted or raised from the water. I'm being identified with Jesus. Now, we don't understand in our culture how powerful that is. But if you go into other cultures, for example, the Middle East, being baptized and being identified with Christ is very costly. There was an article in the Christianity Today magazine just a couple of weeks ago where Ed Stetzer writes about a friend of his, a guy named Nick Ripkin, And Nick was a refugee camp worker in Somalia. He got invited to go to Kenya for a gathering of pastors who were former Muslims who are now were preaching Christ. And they met in a remote place so they wouldn't be discovered, and they began to share their experiences. And one man asked if he could give a, a short testimony. Well, that short testimony ended up being two hours long. And he just opened up about all that God was doing and showing them and how they are being persecuted. And some of his fellow pastors said, you need to tone it down. You need to keep quiet. This could get you in big trouble. And he, and he said this. He said, I've been keeping quiet my whole life. And I finally feel safe here, and I want to tell everyone the truth of what's going on. A few days later, he vanished. Nobody knew where he went. And a couple weeks later, at his church, they were to have a baptism service where 38 Muslim men and women were going to be baptized. And at that service, those people lined up from the altar of the church all the way to the back wall of that church. And a man got up to give a message And he preached that day before their baptisms. And when he finished his message, a a woman, his wife, came up to him with his cell phone and she had tears in her eyes. And she handed it to him and he picked up the phone and he listened and then he announced to the church, your pastor's been found. He was tortured and killed and thrown into an unmarked grave. He says he was killed for his faith. I need to remind you of the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, in that culture, to be identified with Christ and actually to take that step of being publicly identified by being baptized was costly. In, in fact, you could, um, you could go to a church service, you can be Muslim, go to a church service, and you could, you could give the argument of, I was just going there to win people to Islam, share with them how great Islam is. You could, um, you do other, you could read your Bible. You can read a Bible and be Islamic and then tell your, your leaders, you know, I'm just trying to see what they believe so I know how to, de- how to argue with them. But they said that there's no excuse for being baptized. There's no, there's, there's no other explanation of you have departed from Islam to Christianity. You have, you, have, you have exchanged devotion to Muhammad for devotion to Jesus. And how Stetzer describes the baptism was a point of no return. And so this pastor looked at his parishioners and that line of 38 people and said, I just need you to know what you're getting into today and what it may cost you. Not one person got out of that line. Not one person. Basically, they said, we want to be identified with Jesus. That's one of the most powerful things about being baptized is I'm being identified with Jesus. Do you know why Jesus was baptized, by the way? Jesus, Jesus didn't need to repent. Why was Je- He never sinned. Why was Jesus baptized? I believe it was simply for this. Jesus was baptized to say, I'm identifying with you. I'm identifying with sinful man. I'll be so identified, I'll go to a cross and die as a criminal for him. He was willing to identify with you. Why don't you identify with him? See, what's on the inside must show in an external expression. We're going to give you that opportunity today. For some of you, you've had all this list of excuses all over these years of, of why it's not now, why you shouldn't be, but I'm just telling you, all you need is one good reason. One good reason. I just have to tell you, Jesus is reason enough. Jesus is reason enough. And so today's a day for some of you to make a decision. You, you may have come prepared for this. Maybe you weren't prepared at all. That's okay. If God is speaking to you, Today's the day to jump into his arms, to be that child, to say, Jesus, I believe in you, and I surrender myself to you. We already have a bunch of people that are already back there getting prepared. They're going to be baptized this service, and you could be the next. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to invite our prayer partners to be available right down in front here. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. If God's been stirring in your heart, if God's been stirring in your heart this 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 uneasiness, like, oh, oh, I don't know, is today the day? Should I do it? Should I not do it? I'm just going to tell you, there's a spiritual battle taking place, and there is an enemy who's going to give you all kinds of excuses why today's not the day. And just like you did with your giving today, I'm saying let's pound a stake in the ground, let's pound a stake in the devil's heart, and say, no, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm all in for Jesus, and I'm all in today. And, and don't worry about your hair. Don't worry about anything. We we will instruct you what to do. You don't have to give a sermon. You don't have to give a speech. We've got shirts, shorts, towels, blow dryer for your hair. We'll fix your hair all up. Probably look prettier than when you came in. Can't promise that, but. No, seriously, when we begin to sing, here's what I ask you to do. If God's been stirring, don't wait. Because the longer you wait, the tougher the battle's going to be. Right away, come down these aisles meet with one of our prayer partners. They'll welcome you. They'll, they'll pray for you. They'll, they'll guide you over there through those doors where you'll start to get a process because we're going to have a big baptism service today. It's going to be pretty exciting. And for those of us... For those of us who've already done that, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Stay and pray, okay? Don't go walking out on someone's most significant moment. Don't walk out. They need your love, they need your prayers, they need your support, they need, your, they need, they need you to encourage them. And so you may have someone even seated, standing next to you, I'm going to say seated, but standing next to you, who's at that place and they're wrestling, begin right now to intercede for the people around you. Maybe you know someone personally, just say, God, touch them. We've had so many uh, people over the years who, on a day like this, said, you know what, I'm done putting up excuses. I just want to surrender. I'm, just going, to start, I'm, I'm going to start fighting the devil instead of fighting against God. So this is your chance to do that. So as soon as Pastor Matt starts leading us in worship, as fast as you can get down here, we're going to be celebrating with you, all right? Let's celebrate, church family.